0: You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks, welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar. Today, I've got Will Bachman on the show. Will is an independent management consultant. He's a founder of Umbrex, a global community of independent top tier management consultants. He's also the host of a podcast called Unleashed, which talks about how to thrive as an independent management consultant. Will's story is fascinating for a couple of reasons. First of all, the story of how he left McKinsey to become an independent consultant is filled with lessons that we can all learn from. And second of all, in Will's role leading Umbrex, this global community of management consultants, he's developed a very unique perspective on what makes independent consultants thrive in their businesses. And you're going to hear a lot of that in today's interview. Show notes are going to be at forecast.fm slash Bachman. That's forecast.fm slash B-A-C-H-M-A-N. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional service firms, you're going to want to check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a step-by-step process that you can follow to generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access over at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. With that, here is Will Lockman. Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey Ahmad, it's my pleasure to be here. Why don't you get us started by telling us the story of how you got into the consulting business?
1: <laughs> well, consulting business a long time ago. I uh, I had been spent five years in the US Navy as a nuclear trained submarine officer, and then I did a slightly unusual path. I took three years basically off where I lived at a family farm and read all these books that I'd wanted to read in college and raised my own food and milked a goat and had honeybees. And, and then I eventually started thinking, okay, I need to get a real job. And I um, ended up, uh, was on the Navy Reserves at the time and uh, spent did a one-week kind of Navy Reserve duty in New York City and met a beautiful woman and started thinking maybe I should look for a job in New York City, um, later married that woman, and along the way of thinking about getting a job in New York City, I reached out to some friends from college who had worked at McKinsey and Company and got an interview at McKinsey, and lo and behold, ended up as a business analyst at McKinsey.
0: Now, so not really the traditional path, then?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not one that I would necessarily recommend to every listener as the traditional way to get into management consulting, but right. that, that's how I ended up in the firm. So I, I started out as a business analyst at McKinsey, loved it, did a year and a half, went to business school, went back to McKinsey, was there for another four years, and um, and at that point I was loving consulting. And for a lot of the reasons that many people uh, start independent consulting, um, I, I decided to set up my own practice, and uh, you know I, I loved the firm, it was a great training uh, ground great uh, you know, mentors and, and friends there. Um, but I decided to start my own practice to have some more flexibility and uh, some more control over my life in terms of the types of projects I did and, um, and also partly just my own kind of uh, interest. So I think to really thrive at a top tier global consulting firm, you typically need to be pretty focused right, on an industry, and or a function, and I enjoyed much more being a bit of a generalist and working across industries, and uh, and that's a kind of a possible path as an independent. I found, uh, but, but you know, w- it wasn't really a winning strategy at a at a um, at a global consulting firm where where clients demand like sort of deep world class expertise uh, in a particular industry.
0: And so, what kind of work were you doing when you were at McKenzie?
1: So I did um, a mix. I did uh, some strategy consulting work, and then I started doing a lot of operational uh, consulting. McKinsey has a big operations practice. I went through the operations academy, uh, learned about lean operations, and then did about three years' worth of work uh, in lean operations across several different industries. So I did a big project at a nuclear power plant, uh, did some call center work, some operations, lean operations at call centers. Uh, work, some, work for an airline, airline maintenance. So kind of cross industries, focusing on operations, love that stuff. I continue to do some of that today, um, although my practice today also includes a lot of um, strategy and market landscape analysis kind of work.
0: So lean operations is how you would characterize the bulk of your experience at McKinsey?
1: At McKinsey, that, that ended up being my focus, yes.
0: Okay. Now, when you went off on your own, uh, I mean, I think a challenging place to to start with is is to broaden your experience as an independent. How did you go about doing that?
1: Well, let's see. I I think the experience gets broadened um, through client projects. So uh, let's see. I I did a project for um, – one of my early projects was kind of a lean operations type work. Uh, I, I was still in the period where I wasn't quite sure if I was going to stay with the uh, independent thing or not. And I applied for a full-time job as VP of operations, for example, at a kind of small, mid-sized manufacturing company. Uh, I got an offer the, <laughs> my, right my first interview from the CEO. And uh, I thought, actually, this one would be better. And I told CEO um, that I thought I could serve him better as a consultant so I ended up uh, serving as a consultant there for about four months helping to revamp the operations and then um, you know helped him hire a plant manager and uh, ended up becoming a bit of a you know advisor over a longer term to that CEO um, and then other other things have just come the experiences come up through the client work you get you do one thing and the client asks you to to, uh, to help on something else so I've done a lot of work around strategy, landscape analysis, serving, for example, a uh, head of MA, helping a company think about: Do we want to get into this sector? If so, you know, um, who are the players? What's the economics? What's the value chain? Um, so it, it, really, a lot of it has grown through client work.
0: And in your independent consulting career, have you found any particular industry focus? You
1: no, know, I continue to work across industries, but I'd say one thing that has grown for me in terms of functional type of work is this uh, industry landscape assessment. So I've done probably a couple dozen of these and they can take the form of uh, due diligence for a private equity firm that's looking at a particular target or serving a head of m and or head of strategy where they're thinking about bringing their client into a new sector, But um, that is an area that I think lends itself very well to independent consultants, um, particularly if it's some kind of niche sector where there's not a lot of public coverage. I've developed some expertise about how do you source expert interviews to get into that space. Um, how do you go to an industry expo and walk the you know walk the trade show floor and and develop some expertise, or even how do you um, you know use some creative ways, some guerrilla tactics to get some insights on the market, whether it's, you know, doing a survey at a trade show or, you know, or through those expert interviews, um, you know, some interesting ways of getting insights on these kind of niche markets is, is an area where I've, I've, I've got a lot of experience.
0: Right. So you can go in and you can do this industry landscape assessment, which is, which is certainly a kind of a niche offer. Um, and it, it sounds like a good way to differentiate and specialize yourself. But you're saying you, you would do it for
1: any industry. It doesn't matter. Your process can be applied to any industry. Right. I mean, I've done it for, just to give you a few examples, the live plants industry in the United States. Uh, I've looked at the uh, German auto industry market for the, the little tiny motors that operate your window up and down. Uh, let's see, I've done it for things as random as um, uh Uh, certain types of industrial waste processing. So all over the place, the principles and the process is the same. I use um, freelancers on Upwork. I've done things like um, for a particular product, as an example that's used in certain food service applications as a cleaning product, Um, we wanted to get a global market share for this sort of very niche thing where there's no public coverage. So I organized on using Upwork and some other platforms, found freelancers in 20 countries around the world to actually visit some food service establishments in their city, ask the people behind the counter what they used to clean the machine in question, take pictures of that product, and you know consolidate it. So we got 200 data points from 20 countries around the world, and uh, the client loved that right? Because it was the first somewhat quantitative look at this industry that probably anyone had ever done. So you know that that kind of niche industry, getting something really quick, something very affordable for clients, is an area that that you know gets me excited.
0: And what's your process or approach to finding clients for that kind of work?
1: Well, I probably need to get some of your advice, Ahmad, on, on, on how <laughs> to do that. Uh, frankly, we should probably talk about that. But uh, I mean, so far, frankly, a lot of the work and you know some of the randomness of the of those different. Uh, examples is because a lot of it has been referral-based. So I do very little kind of outbound active marketing. It's it's mainly been you know one client that I served referring me to another one.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and that works pretty well um, for for a while at least. What are your prospects for the future? How do you want to grow the practice? What areas would you like to get into? Like, what are you seeing down the down the road?
1: Well, I continue to uh, you know do my own consulting, which is. Uh, which I also awesome enjoy, and I'll probably continue to, to let that grow somewhat organically. Um, I'm spending more of my time now on kind of a, a related venture to my own independent consulting practice, which is uh, Umbrex, which is a global community of top-tier independent management consultants where we work on connecting top-tier independent management consultants with one another. So that, that's where I'm spending more and more of my time.
0: Got it. And I want to get to Umbrex in a minute, but before we do, a couple of more questions about that leap from McKinsey to independent. Now, I know sure. from, from first-hand experience going from the big firm environment to you know the smallest of the small, right? Independent is as small as it gets. Uh, that can be a pretty rocky road. How was the transition for you?
1: Well, um, I mean, I guess, knock on wood, as I look back, it was, uh, you know, E.B. White said this about Coming to live in New York, he said, "If if you want to uh, if you want to uh, if you want to be successful in New York, you have to be willing to be lucky." And th- that's kind of how I feel about my own independent consulting practices. I was uh, I was pretty lucky along along the way. So, um, I mean, there were periods where I might have had two or three weeks between projects, but um, for the most part, had a pretty high utilization uh, um, almost from the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, again, a lot of that was luck. Just, you know, one client would randomly introduce me to a friend or someone I had served at one company ended up at another, and then would give me a call. So a lot of inbound requests. Um, so I, I, ended up staying pretty busy. My strategy around pricing was to try to, you know, price my own, um, services at a place where I would be at a pretty high utilization like 90% plus. And um, after about the first year or two, I was kind of at that utilization basically uh, since. So, and then just kind of gradually raised the rates over time as my, you know, uh, best alternative to a negotiated agreement um, got got improved.
0: You know, that is a very technical term. Luckily, I know what it means. But
1: <laughs> but the BATNA, right? So people have taken negotiation classes, yeah. you know, th- thought about the BATNA. What's your best alternative to negotiate agreement? Um, so as you know, I had more, more flow, more opportunities, have sort of gradually raised, raised the rates over time. Uh, but, it, but keeping it at a level that I was always able to stay busy, which then gets you more experience, gets you more referrals, kind of a virtual, virtuous cycle.
0: Right. So in, in layman's terms, once you have a strong pipeline and you've got a reputation and the opportunity cost for doing work at a certain price uh, becomes too high, you can afford to raise your prices and, and take that step.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And it's tough with one with one client to raise your rates and say, hey, I was charging X, but now I'm going to charge you 2X, right? That's a little bit of a tough conversation, but exactly what you say. So I'd say, you know, for people starting is set your rates maybe kind of below market for someone with your experience. So you'll, you know, get more project opportunities because that's how you learn. And then, and also, you know, gets your referrals. And then it kind of builds. And then as you get more inbound flow, you can afford to turn some stuff away.
0: Got it. Let's jump into Umbrex now. Tell me tell me the story of how Umbrex came together as an idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. So in 2008, when I started my own practice, uh, at the same time, I read a book by Seth Godin. Uh, and I read Seth's blog every day. I've read like all his books now. And I read the book Tribes by Seth Godin, where he talks about building a community, building a tribe of you know people in your space. And I said to myself, okay, I'll I'll do that for independent management consultants. And it started pretty small, just reaching out to a few people I know knew from from McKinsey that had left and started independent consulting. And it was it was great help to me because I didn't know anything about how to do it, like. How do you write a statement of work? Uh, what should you include in a contract? And how do I get a template? You know, How do I get an accountant, bookkeeper, insurance? Um, you know, What should I price? How do I close this deal? All these things, uh, I had no clue. So it was great having some people with a little bit more experience. And um, and then after a little bit of time, I, I started to be the person who was answering those questions for other people. And that uh, sort of loose community grew. Um, Also, not not too long after I started it, uh, a client reached out to me and asked for my help uh, on a project. But I was not available myself. And I was able to find one of my peers from McKinsey, who is now independent, is able to staff him on that project. And uh, so it worked out well for for everyone. Worked out well for the client, worked out well for my friend. And I built it through my firm and added a modest margin. So it worked out well for me. so over the years, that that sort of has grown. that community's grown. Um, 2013, I started organizing in-person gatherings of independent consultants that were part of this community that helped cement it even further. And people would kind of fly in from across the country. And then in 2015, one of those attendees that I'd met through this, uh, Jing Lang, and I founded Umbrex, you know, as a as a you know as a company to help uh, make this a little bit more official because I was kind of doing these events with no website or anything and just to, to make it a little bit more official. So we started Umbrex in 2015. The original um, founding kind of members of Umbrex, community members were people that had come to these events. And uh, and since over the last two years it's now grown to have uh, 300 members in, in 30 countries.
0: I, mean, I think it's a fascinating idea Because I think a lot of folks, if they thought about doing something like this, would think, well, why would I uh, organize and empower my competitors potentially, (laughs) right? Like all these independent consultants are potentially your competitors. And if you had a scarcity mindset, you might think of it that way. But what you've done is you've built this community and in a very Seth Godin tribes kind of way, you've positioned yourselves uh, as as the leader of this community – and it sounds like now clients are looking to you, um, and 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 you're getting authority out of it because you're at the forefront of this organization. And that sounds like it's worked out quite well for you, even from a business perspective.
1: Well, you know, I, I think you're right about the term kind of scarcity mindset. So I guess I, you know, we try to adopt a more of an abundance mindset and thinking it, you know, it's a it's a it's a big big, uh, you know, ocean of work out there. There's lots and lots of project opportunities. And um, frankly, I think for independent consultants, the biggest competitor is not other independent consultants, but it's about the client not doing the project at all, right? right. So that's that's really the competitor, and um, it's not even really the big firms. It's just clients want they have problems that they need to get solved, and you um, know, and the biggest roadblock often is is not I'm not doing like an RFP against you know other. people like me, it's just the client has trouble finding us at all. So um, it's been uh, just personally very fulfilling to help build this community. Um, We organize in-person professional development events for our members, and we do those at cost. So this year we had uh, San Francisco, New York, and Berlin. Next year we'll do Salt Lake City, New York, and London. Uh, We do social events. So you know, we, uh, this fall we have, uh, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, DC, do some across Europe. Those are all, those are a lot of fun. So we try to bring people together, We have online, uh, interaction discussion as well for, for the members of the community. So, I mean, that, that's a really, I think, you know, one challenge as an independent consultant is how do you stay current? How do you continue learning and growing? How do you keep doing professional development and, staying in and you know having a community like this, being able to have peers uh with similar training to you who are doing similar types of work and can have that kind of hallway conversation has been you know hugely valuable to me personally, and I hope it's been valuable to the members of the community as well
0: and I, and I suppose it plays on this idea of you know nobody ever got fired for hiring i b m and and one of the challenges in hiring an independent consultant is the perceived risk that comes with that. But when you have a, a community like Umbrex, uh seems to me like it would help alleviate some of the fear and the concern that the risk that the buyer is facing because it's a well-known entity. There's a brand. There's a community. It's not just one person. There's this whole group forming.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. Um, I'd say that the probably the, the, the biggest barrier is um, – for someone who's left, let's say, McKinsey or Bain or BCG, and maybe they were an associate partner or a partner at one of those firms, and now they're a senior vice president uh, somewhere, they're probably personally quite comfortable um, engage and may and have the signing authority to hire, you know, someone who was an engagement manager or associate partner or senior associate at one of those top firms. So they're they're probably personally comfortable making that. Hiring decision, the biggest barrier for you know independent consultants is you know kind of making that connection, and for them to actually find an independent consultant from one of those firms who is a available, b you know has some um, you know has some you know has the experience that they're looking for. So it's it's really just finding the right person um, is 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 the challenge. And, And you can sort of see someone on paper, right, or on LinkedIn and say, well, that person's probably a good fit. But then the other challenge is like, you know, have you met this person, you know, face to face and, you know, do they, you know, come across really well? Do they present well? Do they, you know, really actually seem professional, you know, after you interact with them for a couple of days? Um, That's tough if you're an executive and maybe you have a network already, but to find someone who's independent, has the credentials is available, has the experience, that's, you know, it, it's a lot of fixed cost effort to go and, and, and find that person.
0: Right, so I'm curious to hear more about Umbrex's process with regards to that. How are you going from, you know, identifying a client's need to then matching them with the right consultant? What does that look like?
1: So clients um, will contact us. We don't do, you know, a lot of outbound uh, marketing. The clients contact us and say, "Hey, Will, um, I have this project. You know, here's here's you know what w- what I need." And typically, most of our clients are former uh, consultants from big firms, so they we kind of speak the same language, right? And they'll say, "Hey, I'm looking for you know an engagement manager level person. Uh, start date is you know immediate or two weeks from now or whatever the start date is. Expect this is going to go for so long. I need someone." And then they'll describe the need. It's either sometimes it's really specific. I need someone who really knows financial services and you know knows how a commercial bank works, or they might just say, "Look for this one. I just need a good generalist who can you know put a good document together for you know a board presentation, and you know industry experience isn't super important because we'll bring them up to speed, right? So they'll communicate the need and the scope, and they might say, "Hey, the person can work remotely," or hey, we really need someone who's based in Chicago for this because we're here, we don't want to pay for travel cost. Um So they'll kind of scope out the dimensions, and then you know what we'll do is work on finding, uh, finding the right person who fits as many of those criteria as possible.
0: Now, in your experience working with independent consultants, and I know you've got a growing community over there at Umbrex, What are the things in your mind that kind of separate the the cream of the crop from everybody else?
1: Um, Well, let's see, I guess, uh, and I'll I'll put in a a plug here for a a great book that I I recommend to members of our community. Uh, It's called The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields. So David, so and i have uh, you know i recently read that book and it i think it answers a lot of the question answers this question pretty well so i think people that get you know our cream of the crop would be um they've really thought about a what is their value proposition right so what's their kind of focus area yeah you know? um they know what kind of projects that they are um focused on doing but that they are trained up and ready to do so Um, number three, they have built up some credibility around that topic area. So either, you know, published something about it, spoken about it, or, you know, even if they haven't published it, um, publicly, they have some collateral that really makes a convincing case. Um, it's much easier for me or, for any intermediary or for clients to recommend someone to a friend when someone has some, some something specific about them you say like hey if you're ever doing you know i could say not, if you're ever doing like you know need someone who like really knows digital marketing in the financial services space like person xyz is is the person to talk to right that's much easier to remember if someone if i'm at a cocktail party and someone is talking about their financial services and they you know need this need a digital marketing person that person's going to come to mind right versus if i say oh you know joe blow you know i meet him and he says like hey i'm really looking for kind of any any kind of project i'm a generalist and i'll kind of do anything that needs a good senior associate that that person's not going to pop to mind right so i guess the it's somewhat contradictory to what you might think, and I, I think you've even had a couple of podcasts around this, um, that the more specific you are, the more memorable you become in terms of you know your focus area.
0: Yeah, and, and I think pricing is directly correlated with that, right? The, the more substitutes there are for, hey, I can do any kind of work, uh, the less you can charge because there's many alternatives. But the fewer substitutes, the more that you can command a premium
1: price. Yeah, that's, that's right. So you can, I mean, if you're, if you're saying, Hey, you know, um, if you're looking for anybody, well, I'm anybody (laughs) that's, that's not nearly as compelling as, you know, you're, if you're looking for someone who, you know, is, uh, you know, great at, you know, product launches for pharmaceutical firms or someone who's really focused on merger integration, um, Hey, that's memorable. If I have a merger integration project, um, that person's going to pop to mind.
0: Absolutely. Uh, listen, Will, let's, let's wrap this up with one final question. I want to know, what is the one best piece of advice you would offer to consultants who are building their own independent practice?
1: Wow. Um, let's see. I don't know. Uh, okay. So I'd say, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, number, can I give like two? Sure. You you can give two. (laughs) Okay. So first read the book, turning pro by Stephen Pressfield. I I love Um, all of your book
0: recommendations, by the way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so turn pro, right? That's the treat yourself like a professional and that's going to cascade across a bunch of stuff. So I could probably give 15 recommendations. You limited me to one, uh, you know, you got me two. So first is read that book turn pro. So that means as one example of that is like clean up your LinkedIn profile. Right? That is the first place. It's more important than your resume. So get a professional looking photograph. You know, not a selfie with like, you know, the, 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 you know, some just get a professional photograph. Spend the 200 bucks, right? Go through your whole LinkedIn profile and make it clear what kind of work you do. Fill in all the details under all your old jobs. And you said I had two, but let me give you just, let me just add this one. Um, I think about if you want to get project opportunities, you got to think about Clark. All right. Clark is C-L-A-R-C. And that's, those stand for C is contactable, right? If you want to get a project opportunity, you have to be contactable. Your contact information has to be out there. L, you have to be likable or at least likable enough. You can't do much about that now. But A is available, right? People don't have to know that you're available like to start next Monday, but they have to know in your network, the people that know you and respect you have to know that you're at least available in general for independent consulting projects. So you need to update your LinkedIn profile and you need to let your people, your friends know about that. And probably don't do that with a mass email. R is reliable. That means you always deliver on your promises and C is credible. So put things, some things on LinkedIn or publish or speak or do something to show you have some credibility.
0: Excellent. Will, that's great advice. Uh, we're going to have links to the books that you recommended in the show notes as well as links to your LinkedIn profile. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap up today?
1: Hey, Ahmad, I love your podcast. I've listened to a bunch of episodes of it. I'd also mention that um, I have been doing a podcast called Unleashed, How to Thrive as an Independent Professional, where I share some more tips and I interview uh, successful independent consultants. So uh, some more thinking is available uh, on Unleashed and it's available on iTunes or Stitcher.
0: And I can tell everyone else that that is an excellent podcast. It's well worth a listen. We'll drop show notes to all of that in in the show notes to this episode as well. Will, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five Ps of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com, and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works, that's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.